You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guests and hear their story. Andy, there are several quotes that I'd like to read from your incredible book, Pro Leadership, and it's from the chapter that really is quite personal about your faith journey. But let's start with you, please, sharing your backstory and let people know uh, where you've been and where you're going. After 25 years of building an asset management business, I finished my responsibilities there and walked away and found myself, I'll use the term mentoring because I didn't know that coaching was a thing. (laughs) found myself mentoring a couple handfuls of young CEOs, senior leaders, entrepreneurs. And after a couple of years of doing that, I sort of was introduced to the executive coaching business. And I thought, wow, that's what I've been doing with these guys and turned that into a business. I wrote Pro Leadership, which will be published on the 9th of February by Morgan James. And that book was 24 uh, principles that I took off of a yellow legal pad that I kept in the top drawer of my desk for 25 years. And every time I learned a lesson, I wrote the lesson down on the legal pad in order to be to be on there. I had to be able to state the lesson in one sentence of 10 to 12 words or less. Mm-hmm. I figured that figured that if I couldn't do that, I really hadn't learned the lesson. So that became the basis of my sort of Andy Wyatt 2.0 and leadership development and coaching. And one of those young guys that I was coaching introduced me to you. And so here we are. You know, it's fascinating that you took, you said 25 years, you were writing 25 years, your top points of knowledge and wisdom on that legal pad. Mm -hmm. And you've put 24 in your book. Yeah. I put 24 in and 25 years and there were actually on that yellow legal pad, there were 37 points, but my editor and publisher helped me get it down to 24 because they convinced me that 13 of them could be wrapped into the others. Okay. I thought maybe there's a I part did. two coming out here. <laughs> no, there is a second book that has been started, which I won't share the working title with you, but something like it's the second book of pro leadership. It'll be pro leadership in transition. And it's going to talk about really the the four years since I walked away from the company that I built that I really had staked my life on and mm-hmm. walked away from it and, and what this process has been like. You say in your book, we all have a story and that story is the most important one you'll ever tell. And you also Mm. say everyone has an Egypt, a wilderness, and a promised land. God created (laughs) us for the promised land, and he will lead us to it if we choose to follow him. So Mm. please share your story with respect to your Egypt, wilderness, and promised land. I'd love to hear that. Thanks for asking, Brian. And this is a part of the story, a way of thinking that's still cooking for me because it's something that has been revealed to me in these last four years. I have an entrepreneurial DNA. I am a serial entrepreneur. I love to build things. Started with a Kool-Aid stand when I was (laughs) eight or nine years old and went up to 
an asset management firm that we built over 25 years. And so as I was in the latter years of that 25 with our asset management firm, and really we were in the halcyon days of asset management and doing very well and prospering, I thought that I had found my promised land. And what I realized after I left it was that rather than being my promised land, it was in fact in Egypt for me. Hmm. I was enslaved by it. I was enslaved to it. And that God, in fact, had something else for me. But to get from that Egypt where he freed me from and he had to create, he actually created the circumstances which freed me from it which I didn't appreciate for a couple of years. It took me a couple of years of wrestling with him to realize that he, in fact, had created that situation and allowed it to happen so that he could bring me to a place where I could be everything he created me to be. And he first had to show me how I wasn't what he had created me to be when I was there. This was a very painful experience. You were, oh, yeah. you were going to sell your business and things didn't work out the way they should have. And you were left pretty much empty handed after working for so many decades, right? Yeah, it's akin to losing the family farm. People, mm. will, mm-hmm. people will understand that. Everything I had put my hopes and dreams on was gone. Wow. And we had to re- Fortunately, our kids have uh, grown and all well-established, but my wife and I have had to recalibrate completely all of our hopes and dreams. And I can tell you right now that it is the best thing that ever happened to us. Explain why, please. Because I have come to, I think as J.I. Packer in his wonderful book, Knowing God, he says, you can know of God and then you can know God. And he has, he has really, really brought me to a relationship with him that I never thought was possible, that I never imagined. I have moved from, if you think about, I'm probably over my skis here because I'm not a Hebrew scholar or something, but names in the Old Testament, they reflected character. Mm-hmm. And so Jacob was sort of the, he was kind of a swindler self-reliant. I can't remember exactly, but he wrestled with God. And as part of that wrestling, he put down his old character and he was a new man. Mm. He came through that wrestling as a new man and his name was changed to Israel. So the one who wrestled with God and prevailed and his new name. And if if um, my name were to be changed today, I think it would be changed from self-reliant to God-reliant. And it took that 25 years in Egypt and four years in the wilderness so far to to conform my character that way, to transform my mind, to give me a heart transplant. To- so let's dive into that a little bit. The wilderness, you said, has been four years plus. Help me see the arc of what's happened in that wilderness for you. It's going from... a self-reliant guy that really I I kind of had a general theme in my life, Brian, where if it is to be, it's up to me. I've been a believer for 38 years, 39 years, but I've been a believer in Jesus, but I never 
understood. I never believed that he was for me, that Mm. he was my provider, that he, in fact, owned the cattle on a thousand hills, that I was the steward of what he gave me. And I was a steward of his resources and that he was the one that was leading and guiding my life. And I like to think of it as what I've realized uh, is that for a lot of years, I walked ahead of Jesus and asked him to bless what I did. And then I moved to walking beside him, but not necessarily letting him direct me. If I didn't like his direction, I would take over myself. And he's brought me in this last period to walking behind him and following him. And I don't want to do, when I go forward as Andy Wyatt 2.0, I want to be spirit-led in everything I do. And that's a complete change from where I was before. What are the differences now as you desire and release yourself into following him compared to what it used to be? What's that look like? I think the easiest way to put it is I've learned that outcomes are in his hands. They're not mine. I'm responsible for planting and watering, but he provides the increase. And there's a great, there's a verse I love that's been so meaningful to me that I've come to understand in Ephesians 2.10, the New Living Translation, it says, we're therefore God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus to do the work he determined for us to do long ago. So what I've come to realize is that he has a work for me to do, and he wants me to do it. And if I do that work, I will glorify him in doing it, and I will have fullness of life and joy and peace doesn't mean everything's going to go great. doesn't Mm -hmm. mean I'm not going to have difficulty but I'm going to have an abundant life like I've never had before. And that's what you've been experiencing, isn't it? And that's exactly what I'm experiencing. And I wouldn't go back if I'll tell you, I can say this honestly today. If someone come came to me and said, if we can return everything back to the way it was and you can have the worldly abundance that you were expecting and hoping for, but you have to give up this relationship, I wouldn't do it. Mm. I wouldn't do it. So someone listening, Andy, would probably be thinking, how does Andy hear from the Lord his instruction? Well, that's a great question, isn't it? Because the Word, the Scripture, the Bible, the Word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. I'm studying John, with my Bible study this year, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt for a while among us. So anytime I'm in the Word, I'm with God. And um, then as I pray, I hear that still small voice, and I allow peace to be my governor, mm. again, as it says in the Word. And and He just has brought me to a really close relationship. And I'll tell you, one of the one of the game changers for me, and it came out of this really difficult COVID time where we've been isolated and lonely. And I was introduced to John Eldridge, and and I'd I'd read Wild at Heart as as so many people have, and but John Eldridge has a pause app, and and he had written a short book called 
get your taking your life back or getting your life back. I can't remember. And by the way, I love the pause app. Yeah, I started using it. I think we closed down on the 9th of March, sort of COVID closed us down. I was introduced to the pause app a couple of weeks later, and I've really used it. And it's just one thing has led to another. And I'll tell you what I've learned is that the word says, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart in Jeremiah. And what I've realized is that Jesus will give me as much of him as I want. And there's never a limit. It's limitless. He can. He will give me as much as I want. He is always there for me. He is always available. You know, so this has been one of the blessings that's come out of this difficult pandemic time. There's another quote I'd like to read from your book, Andy. It's this. The result of understanding and accepting providence is peace. No longer do I need to be about what I call anxious striving. Now mm. I know the reason my striving caused anxiety. It was due to the fact that what I was striving for was out of my control. And I think striving is a huge, it's, a, it's been a huge issue in my life. And the Lord spoke to my heart several months ago, the scripture, cease striving and know that I am God. And I just leaned into that and sat with that. And I recognized as I started to ask him where I was striving, I was covered up with it. And it it was really cloaked. So yeah. how does somebody move away from the striving for accomplishment and release that? Is there a way of seeking the Lord? What would you coach somebody to do if they're asking you that question? What a great question. I think like anything else, diagnosis is 85% of the cure, right? Mm, yeah, that's good. So the biggest step is to realize that you're striving. And once you've realized it, I would ask you, why are you striving? What's behind this? As my friend um, and coach Johnny Parker says, you know, we all have a front stage and we all have a backstage. And there's certain things that you need to take care of on the backstage. If you have a messy backstage, your front stage won't look so good. And I think striving is a front stage manifestation of stuff that's going on in the in your backstage to borrow something from Johnny. And he's, if he hears this, he'll probably go, oh, no, that's not how I use it. But striving is a symptom of something else. And so the answer is, why am I striving? What is driving me? And I got to that through a book. I was with a friend. We were hunting down in Texas, and we were sharing a, a lodge room. And he reaches into his backpack and pulls out a absolutely worn and beat-up copy of Brennan Manning's book, Ruthless Trust. And I said, what is that? He said, it's my favorite book. I bet I've read it 20 times. And... I said, well, if he's read it 20 times, maybe I should read it once because I respect <laughs> this. And so I went back, came back to back home and went and bought the book and began to read the book. And that was reading that book made me realize that the root of my striving was not trusting God and feeling like I needed to make it happen. And that in order to be accepted, you see, as there are three things 
that everybody wants. When I, my wife was asking me, what are the common denominators of the people that sit in your coaching studio? And, and she said, after a couple of years of doing this, do you have any common denominators? I said, yeah, there's three things that everybody desires. They desire to be accepted. They desire to be secure. And they desire to be significant. Mm, boy, that's true. And all of my striving was driven by one of those three things. And what is true is that the only one, the only one who can answer those three questions and give you those three things is Jesus Christ. In Christ, I am accepted. In Christ, I am secure. And in Christ, I am significant. And once a person has answered those questions, then and only then are they able to live for an audience of one, as Oz Guinness says, and not be influenced from the outside in, not live for the world's approval. And whenever I went back and looked at my own striving, why was I striving? Well, I wanted to be, I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be secure. I wanted to be significant in the world's eyes. And like Solomon said, that's like chasing after the wind. So it would seem if somebody was going to do some self-evaluation regarding their striving, those three questions are the most critical to ask of the Lord. Lord, show me. Yeah. Where, am I, yeah. where am I striving for acceptance, security, and significance? And just listen and have them show it to you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How powerful is that? Shifting gears a little bit here, Andy. Regarding your leadership book, I just mm -hmm. want to commend you. I've been reading it. I'm not finished with it, but there's this very comfortable cadence in the book as I'm reading it, an authority and a humility that I don't see in many books. It's <laughs> a sense of a broken man who really has something to say, mm -hmm. and he's not trying to push it. He's just saying it because it is what it is based on experience. And as I was reading this, I wanted to ask you, of the principles that you've put in this book, what springs to mind as one of the top couple that you tend to zero in on with your coaching clients, kind of an 80-20 to this? What would mm -hmm. you say to that? Well, I had a similar question from a coaching client who wanted me to coach his or wants me to coach his leadership team. And I said to him, for somebody who's not been here and not looked at leadership this way, focusing on principles may seem like the wrong place to start. Wouldn't it be better if we started with a bunch of tactics and started applying them? And, and my answer is that tactics are temporary and principles are permanent. So start with principles and get those right and you'll be better at applying tactics as you go. And then that is why my philosophy of leadership development is really you have to start with establishing your credibility, which is the first section of the book. And that section, I think if you did, if you did nothing else, if you forced me to pick my favorite child, I would say that section and chapters three and four, which is um, know yourself and know your why. I love it. I was going to ask you about knowing your why next. 
Yeah, and I'd love because I just love the work that Simon Sinek has done on knowing your why. But I like to force my clients to go a little deeper than just the surface of forming a why. Because what I say is if you know your why, then you know why not. And that will help you more in your decision making than anything else you do. That is so profound, Andy. Would you repeat that, please? If you really know your why and you know who you are, and I think you've got to take the first step of knowing yourself, Mm -hmm. and then you know your why, then you know your why not. And and if you know your why not, it's going to take care of 85% of your decision-making and really help you in your life because you're going to know immediately what to say yes to and what to say no to. It's interesting when you flip a concept upside down how profound it can get, isn't it? So as I was reading your chapter about knowing your why, I loved the process that you recommend for doing so. Could you share that with our listeners? It's page 45. So my why is summed up in one sentence that answers two questions. One, to do what so that this is the outcome. That's right out of Simon Sinek's book. And my why is to inspire and equip leaders who desire to develop the leader within so that they can become all they were created to be. I think what's missing is the so that for many people that write out their mission or their why. Would you agree? That's exactly right. In fact, I I would say 85%. I mean, this has been a great thing to think about. What's my why? And I started a new coaching client last week and I asked him what his why was and he told me. And he's like, we don't need to talk about why because I've got mine. I said, well, what is yours? And it didn't have a so that. I said, you've got a half-cooked why. It doesn't do anything for you. You you know, Mm -hmm. it's like a plaque that you put up on your wall and you, you walk by it every day, but it doesn't influence your life. Oh, man, there are so many plaques in the business world that have zero influence. (laughs) Yeah. Man. Yeah. So when you went down that path... I bet that was kind of a shock, wasn't it, to somebody who's, I've got this nailed, Andy. Yeah, it was our initial coaching session, our startup. And he, uh, first of all, I think he was surprised that I challenged him as I did. And as I said to him, I said, you hired me to speak the last 10%. 99% of the people around you are only going to speak 90% because they're afraid to say the last 10%. I said, oh, man. You're, you're paying me to speak that to you. And uh, I said, don't worry, it'll get harder from here. But I said, it won't hurt me a bit. So (laughs) anyway, so the result of that, this is a guy who he's very coachable and very, what what a wonderful leader. I would love to be part of his organization. But he said, okay, okay, I need to go back to it. I think you're right. So that is the payoff for other people. Yeah. Yeah. Because the so that is what helps you say no. I had a mentor early on in my career who said, when I was just an emerging leader, a next-gen leader, and he said to me, Andy, you're never going to be successful unless you learn to say no, and you will need to say no 90 to 95% of the time. And so what he didn't tell me is that I was going to ne- I was going to need some tool to help me say no. And 
it took me a long time to find it. And had I known my why 25 years ago, I don't know. Who knows what would have happened, but I know it now. What is the greatest piece of advice that you tend to give other people that has helped you the most and that you see has had the most profound impact in their lives? I love this question. If I could just give one piece of advice, do what you do best and hire the rest. There it is. Hard to do if you're a control freak, right? It is. And I've been coaching leaders for a long time before I started doing it professionally. But in the last two years, everybody I coach, you know, you have to work on not being a micromanager. You have to learn how to do what you do best and then hire the rest. And that requires a lot of things. I mean, it's easy to say, but it's tough to do, really tough. Mm. And I would say my coaching studio here, I would say this is like a yoga studio. There's no shame here. You know, <laughs> leaders can come here. You tell me anything. First of all, um, you're not going to move the needle on me. I've heard it all three times. I had a guy here uh, a couple of weeks ago who wanted to come and talk to me. He was afraid to tell me something that had happened in his life, and he felt a lot of shame and failure. And And he told me, and I I didn't respond. And he he looked at me and he said, why aren't you saying anything? I said, well, do you think you're the first person to sit here and tell me that? <laughs> you think you're the only person in the world that's had to deal with that? He goes, he, he looked at me and he didn't say I'm not, but he basically said, really? And I said, yeah, I said, you're, I said, you're the first person today to come here. But yeah. yeah. And, and so people have to learn to let go. They're all entrepreneurs are control freaks and micromanagers. It just comes naturally. I think Adam must have been a, well, he was passive, but Eve was a control freak or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. But but it's like original sin. You know, it's in everybody. And so you got to do what you do best and hire the rest. And I always, the story I use is I love Tiger Woods, you know, the greatest iron player to ever play the game, probably the greatest short game player ever and in the top one or two putters ever. But he doesn't rank high in driving. And so most of us would say, okay, I need to spend all my time working on my driving. And he spends enough time on that so it doesn't hurt him. But he spends all of his time working on his iron game and his short game and putting. You know, you do what you do best. Yeah. And yeah. Perfect story. 80-20 rule. Yeah. 80-20 rule. Yeah. Tell me your favorite scripture. You shared it with me before we started recording. It was from Joel. Mm, yeah. So Joel 2, 25 through 27. I'm going to just get it here because it's such a, it's been so meaningful to me. It gave me perspective on what happened to me. And by the way, what happened to me, I am fully responsible for. I, I am fully responsible. So I don't want anybody to wonder, oh, who did this to him? Well, I did this to myself. So Joel 2, 25 through 27, the Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts, the hopping locusts, the stripping locusts, the cutting locusts. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. So that's Joel 2, 25. And I really think that has helped me. There were a lot of circumstances that caused us to, like I said, lose the family farm. 
But at the end, it was God who allowed it to happen. And he allowed it to happen so that I would be brought into relationship with him and I would be freed to become all that he made me to be. Because had I continued down that road, I would have remained in slavery and I would have I would have never been, been able to become the man he wanted me to be, the person he wanted me to be. You know, I love the, there's another verse, I think it's Jeremiah 6, 16, which uh, Jan Eldridge just quoted on his podcast recently. This is what the Lord says, stop at the crossroads and look around, ask for the old godly way and walk in it, travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. God has taken me from a guy that replied, no, that's not the road I want, to a guy that said, yes, that's the road I want. Show me. Show me that road. Yeah, that's good. So why don't we finish on that note with you praying for our listeners, please. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for this day and thank you for this time with Brian and for the story that you have written in my life and how you have guided me. And Lord, I pray that these words and our conversation would be a blessing to those who are listening and that they would bring glory to you. I pray your hand of blessing on everyone who is listening today and that you would draw them to you and that you would show them the road you want them to be on. Remind them, Lord, that they are your masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus to do the works you set out for them to do. Lord, thank you. We commit all of this to you and to your precious name, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andy. Wonderful conversation. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Brian. Have a great day. Appreciate you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.